Teaching Counselees to Meditate on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Howard Eyrick. He's the director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Birmingham Theological Seminary. He also serves as the chair of their biblical counseling department for their Masters of Biblical Counseling as well. He's married to Pam. They've been married for 59 years. Most of you haven't even been alive that long, but he's been married to Pam faithfully for 50, 59 years. What an amazing thing, Dr. Eyrick. Two kids, eight grandkids, two great-grandchildren. And one of the greatest things that that we were able to do at our conference this past year was to induct Dr. Eirich into our academy, the highest level of membership that we have in ACBC. So needless to say, he's been uh, a member of NANC slash ACBC for quite some time since the very, very early days. He's been a faithful brother, serving, counseling faithfully, but also mentoring, supervising many of you who have been inducted into ACBC membership. And so, brother, I'm so grateful that you're here. So grateful to, to talk about this subject on teaching counselees to meditate. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It's good to be here. Now, as as we talk about this issue of meditation, man, folks get this idea about meditation sort of way out of whack. You know, they, they miss the idea of, well, should we do this whole meditation? That sounds like Eastern mysticism or, well, we think we want to involve ourselves in meditation. That seems to be the new fad. And they start doing this sort of Eastern mystical type thing. Th- that's not what we're talking about at all. You're trying to teach counselees how to meditate on the scriptures because that is a healthy thing and biblical thing. And you've, you've done this in a couple of different ways, but you do this through through Psalm 119. So why did you choose Psalm 119 as a place to start to teaching uh, counselors how to teach counselees how to meditate? Well, in terms of why did I choose that psalm for this particular presentation is one, one, it's one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible. Number two, I knew it would garner attention simply because it was Psalm 119. And number three, our church some years ago took that psalm and took one stanza a week from August till Thanksgiving. And we encouraged the whole church to meditate on it. We used it in worship. And so I started doing it, and I went through the whole psalm in a meditating technique, I'll call it that, and wrote up my notes from it and actually published a little book on Psalm 119 to try to teach that book what I was teaching in, in this seminar. Very good. So I love when things like this happen, where the Lord uses a passage in your life, even through the life of the church, and then the Lord begins to work in your own personal heart. And you see this as something that's valuable as you're you're working with lots of counselors, you're training them in the supervision phase of ACBC certification, and, and you begin to then implement that technique with them. And I love how that process happens. So you've chosen 119. You're right. It is an amazing book that just exalts the beauty of the Word of God. But we need to talk about this whole idea of meditation, right? So what is the definition, at least in your mind, of meditation? And does it differ from what we would typically encourage uh, relative to memorization of Scripture? Well, I think if you go through and look up the word in the Hebrew, it's translated meditate, you'll find that it's an interesting word because it means things like groan, moan, muse, 
And I think I have a list of about eight different ways it can be translated. And I summarize that by saying, talk one's self through. And I think that's a, a good description of what the word meditate, the Hebrew word, would convey for us. That's very good. Now, I want you to talk a little bit about the technique. So as you meditate on the scripture or as you muse through the scripture, just walk me through how you do that or how you train a counselor to do that. Well, if I'm training a, a counselor to do it, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him read the passage. And then I'm going to say to him, now, I'm going to put a mirror up between us. I can't see you. You can see me. So I want you to observe what I'm doing. And I go through the process of meditating through a sentence. I usually, usually, honestly, use Psalm 23, the first line, to do that. And I'll, I'll say, now, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the Lord. Who is he? Now, don't tell me it's God. I know it's God. It's the Lord. All of his attributes, it's a whole knowledge of God. The Lord is. What kind of verb is that? That's a translated verb. And it's in the presence. So the Lord is. It's happening all the time. He's always there. The Lord is my. Oh my goodness. This is very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. And he's my shepherd. And if you read some of it about what a shepherd does, and most of us don't know because we don't live in that kind of cultural environment, but the shepherd protects, the shepherd leads, the shepherd guides, the shepherd makes sure they're secure for the, to get rest. He takes them to the green pastures, as the passage later says, and by still waters, he really looks after me in every aspect of life. The Lord is my shepherd. And that leads to a promise, actually, I shall not want. And I'll look at the counselee and I say, the counselor or the counselee, either one. I say, now, you understand? You can see everything that's happening. I was going through all those different words, parsing out everything that's there. My hands were moving the whole time. Sometimes my notebook happening. I'm using kensocytic energy. I'm using who, what, when, where, and why. And I'm exploring the depth of what's there. And then I can say, okay. Here are some application principles, but I'm not satisfied with that. I want to know how does that application get implemented in a practical way so that the Word of God goes from being on the page, into my heart, and out into my life. And I just think about if we're using that type of technique and we're slowing our life down. And listen, can we just be honest that... That's a difficult thing for many of us to do, but but you think about the value of this, slowing your life down in a, in a day's time, and you meditate on the Word like this on a consistent basis, even as you talk about Psalm 23 or Psalm 119, you're going to begin to memorize. That Word is, is not just going to be in your head where you have regurgitation of recall, but it's going to be in your heart in the way in which you live it, the the, the, the promises of God that you that have been entrusted to you and you're going to begin to, to walk that way. Man, I appreciate that. I think that's helpful. And you talked a little bit about even before we started recording, how in your counseling 
training as you're working with supervisees, you've worked with them a lot and, and you've seen some things in a lot of different supervisees. I want you to talk a little bit about that because I think this is important for us, even fellows who are listening with ACBC or those who are coming through our training. Some of the things that you see in, in some of our supervisees that are really good, I think, helpful tips to encourage our counselors on how to meditate, how to help their counselees meditate as they engage in the counseling process. One of the things I do is I use Zoom. Now that we have Zoom available, and I have my counsel counseling trainees send me a Zoom recording of a session. And I had one gal I mentioned it in the, in the workshop I did. Really does a good job overall, but she's been a teacher her entire life, so she she gets gathers just enough information to identify an obvious presentation problem, maybe a behavioral uh, performance problem. And then, boy, she's she's off and running, and she's giving a good lecture. So the first one she sent me, I I listened to probably about 10 minutes of it. I buttoned it up, and I emailed her back. I said, before I listen to this, I want you to listen to it. I want you to tell me what you discovered. She wrote back and said, I need to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So <clears throat> then I will, I will also say to my counselees, and I've used the word coach a lot of times, coach your counselee through the passage so that they see from the passage what it is you want to tell them. And then you reinforce it, maybe help them flush it out but get them to see it from the passage. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stay with them. It's going to have much more effect in their lives. It's going to be sweeter for them in the long run. So you, you have to take the time to coach them into the word. Yeah, I, man, you're so right about that. I think some of us, we, we, we want to give counsel so quickly and so readily. We're, we're afraid sometimes of that you know, awkward silence or the questions that we ask, but we, we need to hear well. And then I, I love the way that you're describing this about the, the scripture is helping the person see what you're seeing in them, helping the person see what the scripture is trying to, to communicate to them. And, and even as you pause and, and help them to learn to meditate, as you were describing a little bit earlier. Now, as you were working through this understanding of meditation and, and then seeing the value of you doing it personally, but then also with your counselees, what were some of the particular counseling methodological issues that you were attempting to, to address through this whole practice of meditation? Well, obviously, from what we just said, the first one was learning to listen. I think you have to learn to listen with your eyes, with your ears, not physically in the sense of touch, but physically in the sense of really identifying with what the person is saying. If you don't listen, the rest of it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. So you got to listen first. And then after you've listened, you have to help the counselee connect the dots so that you're not just addressing an issue which you're addressing the whole person in, the, in their attempt to deal with whatever is going on in their lives. And I find too often with trainees, and I think part of it is they're nervous, you know, they tend not to listen. They tend not to connect the dots. They just, they just see the dot and bang, they're on it, rather than helping the person connect the dots and teach them to be 
to be take their time, listen, and then I, I, have, I give them an illustration quite often what I do. I'll look at a counselee, maybe, maybe first session, maybe five or six sessions where I get there. And I'll say, listen, my friend, let me tell you what I think I see. And then you tell me whether or not you think I'm right. And then I'll pull the dots together for the person. And 90% of the time, yeah, yeah, you're right. Once in a while, I say, no, that's really not it at all. Well, sometimes it is. They're just not ready to just own so up to it. <laughs> it may come out later. But I find sometimes that allows me to get there quicker by doing it that way. Sometimes it doesn't. You know as well as I do, this is, a, this is an art as much as anything else. And it, I think it has somewhat, I tell my students, you may not, but I tell my students, I can train anybody in this class who's a Christian to counsel. But some of you, God's gifted in such a way that this just becomes almost second nature after a while. You know, that doesn't mean you don't need to depend on the Spirit, but it means the Spirit has already done some work to advance you in that direction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is so helpful. And I'm even thinking personally about ways to, to meditate on the scripture and ways that I've done that in the past. And, and it just, the word begins to naturally flow out in the beauty of what the Lord has taught you, even in the counseling room. And so, Howard, I want to ask you a, maybe one more question that I think uh, would be helpful. And this is sort of has to do with uh, you becoming an academy member, which is the, the highest level of membership in ACBC. I would love to hear maybe a memory or to, that that you have from the early days, you were directly discipled by Jay, and just give us maybe a memory or two of your moments. You do a lot of counseling supervision now. That baton has been passed to you, but there were days when you were being supervised. So give us some insight on some of those early days. Yeah, I had Jay supervising, and I had John Butler supervising. <laughs> well, you talk about our counselors being nervous. Uh, that would make a lot of people really nervous. But you know, it, it's interesting. I I love telling this story because it's it's a true story, and and I'm just always been amazed at it. The first time I went through the training program with Jay, about halfway through, we, he was doing a marriage case, and the people were late. We were just sitting there chatting, and I turned to Jay and I said, "Because you know, he was in the middle." I was here. There was another observer over here. And I said, Jay, if I came back and took this class again, would you let me sit in the counselor's seat and you sit over here and coach me? Don't ask me where I got the nerve to do it. I'm always marvel at that. <laughs> and he agreed. So I came back and took the class again. And I counseled two cases with Jay sitting on my shoulder and an observer over here. Mm. <laughs> and... One of those was a marriage case, and I'll never forget this. I can't give you the details, but I'll never forget the, the, the event. Somewhere, maybe four or five sessions in, Jay, one day, just said, Howard, would it be all right if I said something? And I said, yes, sir. And he just went over there where I was, backed the whole thing up here, turned it, and put it down in this direction, and turned it back to me. Never said a word, just turned it back to me. And I thought, oh, okay, I need to go that direction. <laughs> but I've always said, I, I used to have to, no, I didn't have to. I did defend Jay a lot of times because he got a lot of criticism. Yeah. And I got to the place I'd say, you know what? I don't have to defend this guy. He's a big guy. But let me tell you an example of this man. You talk about a master teacher. 
and a master encourager. When I was doing my doctoral program, I asked him about something one day, and he looked me at Howard. You got to go do that. I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. You get thrown in the deep end, right? Yep. Learn how to swim. <laughs> Howard, these things are great. And I remember hearing very similar stories from another brother who was with Jay early on. He's now with Jay uh, in the presence of the Lord, Dr. George Scipioni. These are some of the, the, the greatest stories I love to hear. Brother, I'm so thankful that you have a testimony of faithfulness, that you've been a minister of the gospel. You've been one of those deep encouragers. You continue to be that. It's so fun for me as I am a fly on the wall at, at our national conferences and, and watch all the people who you've supervised through the years and their appreciation for you. Uh, we had a wonderful time honoring you and your faithfulness. So thank you, brother. You're, you're definitely some of the strong shoulders that we stand on as, uh, as we move forward in ACBC. So thank you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I want to remind you about a resource. I told you about this a few weeks ago, but it has since been released, the Journal of Biblical Soul Care. And this is a journal where we at ACBC want to approach the topic of biblical counseling from a little bit more of an academic perspective. Now, that's not to say that that counseling in and of itself is not a practical discipline. It absolutely is. And we have so many resources where we focus on the practicality of counseling. Now, but one of the things to keep in mind is that proper application of Scripture, the proper application of theology, the proper application of people, all of that is important in counseling. But we need to remember that comes from thinking well about those subjects. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 2.8 that we need to be guarding against empty philosophies and vain deceptions. And so we want to propose an academic journal, the Journal of Biblical Soul Care, where we talk about these issues theologically, anthropologically, that are both positive and critical of issues in the biblical counseling world or that touch our world. I hope that will help us to think well, think more clearly, think more theologically, exegetically from Scripture as we hope that that flows down into the way in which we practice counseling. And so I want to remind you, it has been released. Make sure that you find that on our website, biblicalcounseling.com, and along with other resources that are much more practical as well for the counseling task at biblicalcounseling.com. (music) 